Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. That's a lot saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Let's pray together. Father, none of us are sufficient to study your word apart from your Holy Spirit illuminating our hearts and our minds to it. We're grateful, Lord, we don't have to pray that your word would be powerful. It's already powerful, but we recognize, Father, that we need our hearts to be able to receive it So we pray for our hearts this morning, that we'd be able to receive your word, that your spirit would be our teacher, and that he would open our eyes to your amazing revelation, and that we would hear everything you want us to hear, and that you would give us a way to be able to apply these things to bring you glory. We thank you for your your word that will outlive the heavens and the earth. We're grateful that we have the privilege of building our lives upon it. We're we're grateful, Lord, that it, it supplies everything needed for us in this life to be able to live for you and to bring you glory. So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we look to finish chapter 5 this morning, we are right in the middle of this just amazing, that's all I, only word I can use, I mean, it doesn't even do justice to it, but this amazing heavenly scene that, that's there. And I want us to just kind of especially those of us that weren't here last week, I want us to go back to verse 1, and I want us to kind of see what's leading up to our text this morning. In verse 1, we're told, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside on the back, sealed with seven seals. So this is a, a scroll that is really the title deed of the earth. Because when Adam fell and they sinned and so forth, then the God of this world kind of usurped that authority, became like a squatter, so to speak, uh, of this earth. And this scroll has to do with uh, taking possession of this world. He owns this world. He's always owned this world, but he's going to take possession. You know, we pray, you know, um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That prayer is going to be answered someday. When the Lord Jesus interrupts human history and comes back to this world and, and sets up his millennial reign and, and beyond. So 
we saw that. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? You see, they all knew, these readers would know exactly what this scroll was. John knew what this scroll was because legal documents had seals. And especially in Roman culture, they had to have a, a, a different witness for every seal, and they had to be in the, in, in the presence of, of that, per, the, you know, when the executor of the, of the estate would want to open that, they all had to be present, and all of their seals had to be broken. So this was a legal document, and, and you have to have qualifications to open a legal document, especially a title deed, and especially at this time with title deeds. So he said in verse 3, and no one is in heaven or uh, in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much. Why did John weep much? Because he knew that the implications of this, that that this scroll was, was something related to the earth and God's dominion over the earth, and he knew the havoc that Satan was having in this world. And, and so he would, it wasn't that he was wondering what this scroll was. He wouldn't have been weeping. He knew exactly what this was. So he said, I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So there's this scene here. And again, this is a revel- this, what we're studying here is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not merely a revelation of the end times, of the end of the world. It includes all those things. But it's, it's about Jesus himself. In chapter 1, we saw Jesus reveal himself physically to John. In chapters 2 and 3, we saw Jesus reveal himself in how he deals with the churches and what he says to the churches. And now he's revealing himself as the only one worthy to open this title deed to the earth and, and, and be able to take possession of this world. And we're going to see in the next chapter, he's going to start breaking these seals. And as he starts breaking these seals, things start to happen on the earth to begin the process of him possessing this earth once again. So that's important for us to see. But today, what the Apostle John is focusing on is what he's kind of seeing. Because remember, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we, we saw him be caught up. He was raptured into heaven. So now he's in heaven. We've been seeing the throne. We've been seeing these 24 elders with 24 thrones. These are redeemed uh, believers, whether they be from the Old Testament or from the New Testament time period. They're believers. We see these four living creatures who are kind of catalysts for worship. They worship the Lord, and it causes the 24 elders to worship the Lord. We've seen all these colors and the sea of glass and all these beautiful things. So John has been seeing all these things in a very narrow way. He's been just focusing pretty much just on the throne area, right by the throne. But now the Lord's going to kind of expand his vision. He's going to see some, some other things, some other amazing things. And so he's going to see a little glimpse of others that are around the the throne there. Notice in verse 8, what is initiated, what initiates their worship was that Jesus took the scroll. 
Because we see in verse 7 that he took it. And then in verse 8 says, Now when they, he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So these four living creatures, these 24 elders, they saw this exchange take place between the Father and the Son. And so the Father is releasing the scroll to the Son, and that's just as important as the Son rising to take it. Because to those, to those elders and to those living creatures, that is not confirmation per se, but it's, it's just a sign that He really is worthy. The Father is really accepting that the Son is worthy to take the scroll because the, the Father releases it. He didn't have to release it. I mean, if I were up there and I tried to take it, he'd be like, you know, you're not getting that. You're not worthy to grab that. Get your hands off that, you know. But, but obviously the son is worthy. So they see the father release it. And so that, and, and that the son is worthy to take that scroll. And so that, that causes worship to break out. We're also told here that each of the 24 elders had a harp. And these golden bowls of incense. And that reveals a lot to us. It reveals so many things. First of all, it it tells us that worship in heaven involves instruments. Can I get an amen from our worship team? Amen. Well, not all of them are engaged in, you know, instruments, of course. Their, their, Their voice box is an instrument, as far as I'm concerned. So there's instruments. And we see, we've seen paintings of people riding on clouds and playing harps and stuff, and it just means a ten-string ten string instrument. There, I don't know if there's guitars that have that many strings. Dave, are there guitars that have ten strings? Yes, okay. See, that just shows you how, how I'm not musical, that I don't know that. But it, it just means that there is these instruments there, which is beautiful. And we often think, what is the purpose of music? The purpose of music is worship. That's the reason why music exists. God created the notes. He created everything related to music. It's, it's, it's basically an expression of his existence. It's, it's part of general revelation. There are things in life that are just exist that man stumbles upon that reveal that God is. Like math. Man didn't create math. They discovered math. <laughs> you know, it's just there. They didn't make, invent one plus one is two. They just discovered how to explain it or express it. Logic is general revelation. You can't talk about <laughs> anything, really, without using logic. God made logic. You can't deny logic without if basically showing that it's true, because you have to use it to deny it. So that shows you that God is logical. I mean, there's so many things. Just by the creation, we see that God exists, and music is a part of that. Satan was involved in the ministry of, of, of worship. Some people say he was the worship leader in heaven. I don't know if I could make a case from that, from the word, from that. He may have been, but there, there were instruments involved in, in, in how he expressed himself in heaven. And we know that Satan had this desire, that Lucifer had this desire to be worshipped. So he just wanted to have the worship go the wrong direction. So worship, I mean, worship's been going on for all eternity since God created something to worship him. And, and so it's a beautiful thing. But also we see here by these bowls here of incense it, that it involves prayer. It involves corporate prayer. It involves the prayers of the saints. No, and it, it includes all of them. 
Look at the word full there in the verse. Those bowls were full. They were full of our prayers. That's important. God doesn't miss any of our prayers. Sometimes, have you ever thought, I know I have at times, where you feel like that God didn't even hear that prayer. It just bounced off the ceiling and never, he never heard that prayer ever. He hears every prayer. And I want us to think about it, it, those of us that know children, whether our own children or children of, of relatives or whatever, everybody loves to hear from a child. And when you're a parent, you love to hear your child's voice. You just love to hear that voice. God loves your voice. He doesn't just care about your needs. He cares about you, period. Everything about you. He cares about your voice. He cares about what's concerning you. He, he cares intimately. And so we're told here that this, they're like, this prayers are like incense to him. And this wouldn't be foreign to the Jewish audience. To us, we kind of have to, I don't know how many of you burn incense. You know, I don't. It, you know, maybe some of us do. I don't know. But this was very familiar to this Jewish audience. In Exodus chapter 30, God gives instructions for the altar of incense in the tabernacle. And I want to read you a couple verses from there. It says, Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generation. See, that's all speaking to the true Sanctuary. We're told in Scripture that the tabernacle and the temple were copies, were inferior copies to the true heaven, the true sanctuary, capital S, sanctuary. What we're looking at here in Revelation. And he, and he wants us to know that, the, that incense back in the Old Testament pointed to the fulfillment of our prayers going up into heaven, not the other way around. Our prayers don't point to the incense that was burned in the Old Testament. It's the other way around. And it's, it's beautiful to him. It, it's a, it's a sweet-smelling aroma to him. Psalm 141, David says, that my, let my prayers be as incense to you. So he understood all about it. Do you think that your prayers are enjoyable to him? Do you think that he enjoys your prayers? He does. He doesn't miss one, and he enjoys every single prayer that you express and I express to him. Now notice in verse 9 what they begin to say to the Lord Jesus. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So he begins with, in verse 9, they sang a new song. And this term, new song, this is the eighth time in the Bible that it's given to us, this term, a new song. Six of them are in the Psalms. One is in Isaiah chapter 42. And then there's this occurrence here. And then there's one more in chapter 14. And the ones in the Psalms are are imperative. They mean that they're a command. He's commanding his people to sing a new song to him. God knows we need to sing new songs to him. Why? Why do we need to sing a new song to the Lord. Because singing a new song is directly related to responding to something new about him that we love, that we discover. I mean, some people think, well, when I get to heaven, I'll have a new body, and I won't, have, I won't be learning anything, and so I'll know everything there is to know about God, or at least how much he lets me to know about him in my finite new body, and so there'll be no new songs in heaven. That's not correct. God is infinite. 
And he says that we're going to spend eternity learning about the riches of his grace, we're told. So there's always going to be something new about who he is and what he's doing and how he treats us and how he treats others because the the, the amount of new songs needs to come in line with the amount of new things we're discovering about him. And even in our own lives, there are new ways that God works in our lives. There are new ways, that new things that we discover about him. We may have seen him work in certain ways in other people's lives, but it's never, he's never worked that particular way in us, but now he is. And so there's a new song. There's one word that we always need to remember as it relates to what worship really is. And in the one word is response. And our whole lives should be spent uh, living out this response to what he's already done. This is all reactionary. They're reacting to something. They're responding to something. And God's called us to live a life in response to what he's done for us. We're told in 1 John, we love him because he first loved us. He's the initiator. We're the responder. That's what worship is. We don't worship God to get anything from him. That's, that's a bad teaching in the body of Christ. We worship God because he's worthy to be worshipped. That's why. And because he's done so much for us and we know who he is in part. And we know what he's done for us and others in part. And thus we need to express that. So that's what they're doing here. They're singing a new song. Now this is in, remember when this was written, A.D. 95. (laughs) So he's writing about them singing a new song that's at least almost 2,000 years into the future. But they're singing a new song at that time when they're engaged in it. So then he says, then they say, for you were slain, and have redeemed us to God by your blood. You were slain. And over and over again, and I mentioned this when we first started the book, there's so many designations for the Lord Jesus in this book, so many titles, so many names he's called. He's so many things. But the one that overshadows and dwarfs all others is the name Lamb. It's all through the the book of Revelation. It's all about... Because he was slain for us. Because he laid his life down for mankind. And that's why he's worthy to open these seals, as we saw last week. And you can get that and listen to it. There's there's all kinds of qualifications he had to meet to be that person that could open those uh, seals that we're going to see next week. So then they say, you have redeemed us. And what's redeem mean? It means to purchase. And back in the days where they would buy slaves... They would have a slave on the, on the block there and someone would, they would outbid each other and the one that paid the highest price would redeem that slave. They would purchase them uh, for slavery. But then you could purchase uh, slaves out of slavery. You could buy them and then you could set them free. And there was limitations to that at different points in time and different places. But that's the picture for us. He's redeemed us. He's purchased us. He's paid the full and satisfying payment for forgiveness of our sins. The technical word is propitiation. He's paid that payment for us and purchased us, and thus we should be uh, worshiping him for all eternity. And then notice he says, redeemed us to God by your blood. That was what he paid with. He didn't pay us, buy us out of slavery to sin with money. He did it with his blood. And you know what bothers me is so many churches, unfortunately, have taken all the references to the blood out of songs. Heaven hasn't. Heaven's very comfortable with keeping the blood of Christ in their songs. And, and so 
it's a reminder to us the price that he paid. We don't want to sanitize that cross. I've often thought, well, if we had a cross up on the stage, what would I want to have it look like? I'd be very tempted to have it be completely bloody because that's what that cross looked like. It wasn't a pretty cross. It was a, it was a horrible, horrible place for our, our Lord and what he went through. It was very, very uh, not beautiful in, in, in the sense of what happened to him. Now, it's beautiful for us because of what it accomplished for us, but that cross was anything but pretty and shiny. Then notice who comprises the church there. He says, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Now, this doesn't seem like a big deal to us because of how far the gospel has advanced in our world today. Again, this is written almost 2,000 years ago. So they, I mean, they've barely made it into Europe, and there's North Africa and so forth by this time, but really not much further than that. And here John's seeing this. He's seeing, just imagine that. He knows that the gospel's going to go through every nation because he's seeing people from every nation worshiping there. And, and he's seeing all of this diversity. And I love the diversity in the body of Christ. Who wants a, a, a church that's just one race or one demographic or one you know, uh, background that people have? One of the reasons why I love our agape feast is that it represents so much diversity with just the different food. Even when we have a theme, that's Mexican food? Yeah, that's Mexican food. Oh, okay, well, I'm not prejudiced. I'll eat it, you know. I'll eat anything, unfortunately. But I just love diversity. I love seeing different ages and different expressions of worship. And I love, I love all of that. And, and, and God loves it too. And we saw a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 17, I believe it's verse 30, where he said that he's put people where he's put them in this world so that they might seek after him and grope after him, although he's not far from any one of us. So he, when he scattered this, the people of this world, with the, when he confounded the languages and he confused the languages at the Tower of Babel, it was very purposeful. Not just because they were getting so uh, strong in terms of what they can do in their own strength and so forth, but he had very specific purposes of where he wanted to place people so that they could hear the gospel. Sometimes we hear people, well, what about, the, what about the person that's never heard in the jungle or whatever? And I'm like, okay, well, you go talk to them. If you have such a heart for them, why don't you go and preach the gospel to them? God's very capable of preaching the gospel directly. And we've heard many accounts of that where he's not even using a person. But this, the gospel's gone out to much of the world. There's a 1040 window that is largely unreached, but there's still inroads in that geographical area of the world. So it's beautiful, this expression of diversity there represented. Now, verse 10, they also worship him for this. It have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Kings and priests. Wow. We will rule with him. In 19, chapter 19, we're going to see us coming back with him at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And then we're going to rule and reign for the thousand-year millennium and beyond. So you may not think of yourself as a monarch, but we're going to be kings. And priests, what's a priest? A priest represents people to God and represents God to the people. He's like a mediator. We don't have priest, the office of priest in the New Testament. But he's called each believer to be a priest because we represent God to people that don't know him and even people that do know him. 
and vice versa. We intercede for the lost. We intercede for believers. So there's the priesthood of all believers. You may have heard that phrase before. So, yes, he's made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. So much of what he's doing in us now, he's going to use in the millennium and beyond. We forget that. We think he's just preparing us to go to heaven. He has a, his sights are far beyond just going to heaven. It's, I mean, I'm not minimizing that. That's amazing. But he has very specific things for us to do in heaven and things for us to do on this earth. Verse 11. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. So here's when kind of the angle of what he's looking at changes. Because notice in the beginning of verse 11, he says, Then I looked. He was already looking. But he was, now he's looking in a different place. His vision is expanding there. And what he sees is, is including other things now. He's not just seeing specifically right next to the throne or around the throne there. And, he, and this, this math here, if you do the math, it's a hundred million angels that he's talking about. A hundred million angels. But then he adds thousands and thousands. So, I mean, he couldn't even go beyond that. There's a lot of angels <laughs> there. And can you imagine, what does a hundred million angels sound like? Singing all at, at once. I can't imagine. I mean, he says in verse 12, saying with a loud voice. So they were loud. They were loud there and they were singing and they were worshiping. Can you imagine a hundred million angels plus worshiping all at the same time? Think about the sounds of that. Wow. Now, the key to verse 12, let's read it first. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So the this, this, this key to understanding verse 12 is that word receive. Do you see that there at the middle of verse 12? To receive. They're saying the Lamb is worthy to receive something. Now often this is taught or talked about in a way where, okay, we're just acknowledging His attributes. And he has all these attributes. And we should worship him for these attributes. Don't get me wrong here. But I think he's getting at something a little bit different when he says receive. And I think what he's getting at is not really what he possesses, but rather what he is worthy to receive from creation. What he's worthy to receive from us. Let's start with power. To receive power. Now, it's not just talking about humans. It's talking about angels. Every, I mean, the, the angels are the ones that are saying it. It's, it's, his, it's God's creation glorifies God by offering everything to Him. That's what worship is. Worship isn't just singing songs. Worship is a lifestyle. It's my life responding to the cross appropriately. That's one of the best definitions of, of worship. So it includes all the things about us. And what they're saying to him, you are worthy to receive all these things that anybody, angels, humans, whatever, even the things that the Father gives to the Son, he's worthy to have those things. He's worthy to receive power, to, to what we give from our, our bodies, 
And, and, and what we, our strength, because he says that there also in the verse, strength, our riches, what we have. He's worthy to receive those things. He's worthy to be worshipped in that way. Any wisdom that we may have that we receive from him, as we use that wisdom for his glory, he's receiving it. And he's saying that Jesus is worthy to receive that. But in addition, honor. And how do we honor the Lord? We honor him with our lips. We honor him with our hearts. We honor him with our lives. We honor him with our stewardship of everything that we own, our time. Sometimes people say, you know, thank you for your time. And I understand what they're saying. But I know that I don't have time. And if you know the Lord, you don't have time either. It's not yours. It's his. It's his time. Your life, your life is representing him. Everything that we have, our breath is his breath. Our t- and, you know, yeah, think about that. I mean, we're not blaming him for stuff. I mean, we have to do our part or whatever. But, I mean, I'm talking about breathing. <sighs> that kind of breath. Okay, not mourning kind. But everything that we have is his. Our money is his. Not just the part that we give to the eternal things. All of our money is his. Everything needs to be prayed over. Our, our relationships that he's given us, those are his. Everything is his. And as we offer those things to him, he is blessed. And they're saying everything that we could possibly give, everything that we, anybody could give to you as an expression of worship, you are worthy to receive it. I believe that's the essence of verse 12. And the last part of verse 12, when he says blessing, that's that word eulogy. We've seen it before in the New Testament. It means to speak well of. When you eulogize someone at a memorial or a cel- celebration of life, you are speaking well of them. And, and what this is saying is, when we speak well of Jesus, he is worthy to receive that. And, and that's important for us because we need to give glory to God with our mouths. We focus on our hearts, which is very, very important. But we also it's very important what comes out of our mouths, too, to represent him. We're told in Scripture to be careful to tame our tongues and to speak those things that will only impart grace to the hearers. Let our, let our speech be seasoned with salt. There's so many things. Let nothing come out of your mouth except that which is uh, appropriate for necessary edification and building someone up. All of that brings glory to God. It's not just what we say to Him. It's what we say about Him in the presence of others, whether they know the Lord or not. And so he says, those things that we can offer to him to speak well of him, he's worthy to receive every single syllable of it. And I love it. Now I'd like to introduce your... You, and dear, well, it's easy. Let me just back up and rephrase that. Now I'd like to introduce you to yourselves in the scene. Look at verse 13. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. We are there. You are actually looking at yourself in the Bible. Did you ever think you'd see yourself in the Bible? You're seeing yourself in the Bible right now. You are looking in the future and you're seeing yourself worshiping God right now. Think about that. That's amazing to me. And you're like, I wonder if how I look. <laughs> I wonder, my, how am I doing up there? You know, I mean, do I look good? How's my... You're not going to have a flesh. You're not going to have a sinful nature. 
So you're going to look just how God wants you to look, and you're not going to care about yourself like you care about yourself now, and myself included. You're going to be caring about God and so forth. But we're right there. We're worshiping. We are there before the throne, worshiping the Father and Jesus. Again, notice he's referred to as the Lamb. Over and over and over again, we're going to see him be referenced as the Lamb. Because if it weren't for him being the Lamb who was slain, we wouldn't, have, we wouldn't be there. Those elders wouldn't be there. Those creatures would, would be there, but not the elders and not everyone else that's there worshiping the Lord. Remember, we talked about the sea of glass and how we can refract or reflect or whatever the right term is. All that light that's coming from the Father and the throne and all the, the green rainbow that's around the throne that we saw and all of that, that sea can reflect all of that, but it's also there as an expanse, a large expanse for everyone to stand before the Lord and to worship him. And to give him the glory that he is so due. If you're not concerned about worship, you may have a problem with heaven. Because it's all about worship. It's all about him. Verse 14. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. That's a very key word, amen. There are three words in English, I heard someone say this once, three words in English that are pretty much universal in the world. No matter where you go, pretty, people pretty much know what you're talking about. One is Coca-Cola. Pretty much everybody knows that, that word. The other is uh, discount. That's a very popular one in other cultures. And I forgot the other one, but it's important. So maybe I'll think about it. Uh, oh, no. There you go. That's what it was. No. So those are pretty universal. But there's three words for worship that are involved in worship that's from the Hebrew language that really transcend many, many, many languages. And just about every language you go to, when you're around another believer, you can say these words and they know exactly what you're talking about. One of them is amen. They know that. That's a Hebrew that started in, in the Hebrew language and it means that's the truth it means so be it that's the truth and so there's the second word which is hallelujah which means praise the lord and then there's the third one which is hosanna and that means uh to save so those three words just about wherever you go you can say you know amen hallelujah hosanna and they're like hey yeah you know and they're going they're right there with you because they know those things uh, as believers then you can ask for a coke and ask for a discount and then they'll say no So they say, amen. These, these, these four living creatures said, amen. Everything that you've said is true. Everything that you articulated about why we should worship this amazing slain lamb is 100% true. And they, and they fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Heaven will be all about him. All about him. God will be on display for all to appreciate. And we will need a new body to be able to handle him in how we're going to experience him. We couldn't handle it now. We would disintegrate because <laughs> we're going to see him for how he really is. We're going to need a new body to handle that. And we will worship not because he's forcing anybody to and compelling people. That's not worship. 
Worship is something that's from our will. We do it because we love him and that he's done so much for us. All he's going to do is just be who he is there. He's just going to be on display in a greater way than what we can see him and comprehend right now. So, of course, we're going to be worshiping him more because we're going to experience him and engage him more and what he's doing more. And so we're going to love to just cry out to him and worship him because his greatness is going to be on display for us to see so vividly. And who knows what we're going to be able to handle with our new bodies related to colors and sounds and our eyes and just all the things, even our minds and so forth, to be able to, I mean, I know that we're not even scratching the surface. Like one out of a billion, you know, we understand a little bit about who he is and how amazing he is. And we're going to get to see all of that. And I can't wait. And our lives need to represent worship now. Our whole lives, everything that we're, gonna, that we're dedicating to him needs to be an expression of worship. You know, we can do certain things. We can do all the right things, and our heart can be a million miles away. And he says, no, I want your heart engaged. He's a very jealous God, as we see in Scripture. He wants our hearts engaged with our obedience. We wa- he wants our obedience, but he wants us to be obeying as a response to what he's already done for us, not just simply for the sake of obeying. He wants it to represent worship. So as we filter all the things that he's called us to do in his word, we need to see those things as an expression of worship to him and love for him because we we want his heart to be blessed. I want to read a quote from a well-known Bible teacher named Warren Wiersbe about what worship is. He said, Worship is the believer's response. There's our word response. Worship is the believer's response of all that he is of all that he is, mind, emotion, will, and body, to all that God is and says and does. This response has a mystical side in subjective experience and its practical side in objective obedience to God's revealed truth. So what that mean is there's, there's a subjective side in the sense of I, can, I get to worship how I need to worship, and it's different for every person. Now, when we're worshiping collectively, you don't have as much freedom just to do whatever you want to do because it affects others. It affects others' ability to worship and to get, you know, you don't want your focus, people's focus to be on you. You want God's, their focus to be on God. And sometimes the way that we can express ourselves in corporate worship can take away from people's focus on the Lord. And people don't realize that, but sometimes they need to be corrected on that. You can go and do handstands in the spirit if you want at home. You can do all kinds of stuff at home. There's total freedom for that. That's individual worship. That's something entirely different than corporate worship. Corporate worship is something that we do in unity with each other, respecting one another, thinking about one another. We're doing it as one voice. That's one of the reasons why I don't prefer, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but I don't prefer when churches have it where you can go and just go get communion on your own. They want it to be a private thing. I understand that. There's, it's great to be able to express private things to the Lord. But we're still a body. We're still doing things, everything together, corporately in unity. And so when you get to your seat or whatever and you're, you receive the elements and you're, you're there, then now you're talking to the Lord individually. But we're all still doing it together in unity. And that's very important. He goes on to say, It is a loving response that is balanced by the fear of the Lord And it is a deepening response as the believer comes to know God better. 
So what that's saying is our worship needs to be deepening. We need to be growing. You know, our, just our singing time, you know, that's one part of worship, has grown so much since we started a little over six years ago. I mean, there was a time where I was, are we all Vulcans in here? You know, I mean, it's like we have emotions. We have, we have an expression. We can express ourselves. You know, you look at sports events. It's not looked at at all weird if you're yelling and screaming and, you know, expressing yourself and, and just going crazy. That looks normal. But then sometimes if you do that in a church, and I'm not talking about crazy out of control, I'm not talking about any of that. But if just ex- being expressing yourself, oh, you're weird, you're a fanatic. You just went to the football game and painted yourself neon green, guy. What is, what is that? And you're, that's normal? I mean, come on, you didn't even shave first. But anyway, let's move on from there. <laughs> Worship needs to be from the heart, and it needs to be our whole lives. Again, it's, he's wanting us to d- deepen our relationship with him in worship, in the expression of worship, in how we say things to him, what we say things to him. I've said this the third time I've mentioned this, and I just want to make sure we're all hearing it. The times where we have solos or instrument things where there's time where we're not singing, that's your time to say individual things to the Lord, just between you and him. It's also your time to appreciate music because that gives God glory. So it glorifies God when we hear the instruments and so forth. But that's also a time to say the individual things in between you and him. That's part of growing in, in, in worship and so forth. So this isn't the last time we're going to see worship in heaven at all. But this is a really good snapshot of what's going on there. And it's the first time that we've got to see ourselves. That's just, it just blows my mind that I'm looking at myself worship the Lord at this time. It's amazing. 